0: Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway, a United Methodist community in Portland, Maine. If you live locally, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Visit our website at www.hopegateway.com to learn more. But whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice. Loving kindness and walking humbly with God. God is good and all the time, God is good. I invite you just to take a deep breath, breathe in through your nose. And breathe out slowly. Take another deep breath and breathe in God's peace. And breathe out all that keeps you from being fully present in this place. I feel like I should introduce myself. (laughs) My name is Alan Ewing Merrill. I am the pastor's spouse, for those of you who don't know. And although I have been preaching in uh, some other churches lately, I haven't preached here at Hope Gateway since June 23rd. That was the Sunday <clears throat> that you all threw a little party for me, except it wasn't exactly a going-away party. I, I, I kind of called it the going-nowhere party. <laughs> <laughs> After 12 years of serving this incredible community, that was my final Sunday as one of the pastors of Hope Gateway. And a week later, I began a new kind of vocational uh, journey as the executive director of the BTS Center, which is a nonprofit and foundation that's working to equip and resource uh, faith leaders for effective and faithful and impactful ministry in the 21st century. But I'm grateful to Ophelia for inviting me uh, to share the message today. So we're in the second week of this worship series called Enough! Do you ever worry that you don't have enough? Yes, you have a question? Yes, go ahead. are worry that sometimes I don't have enough. Yeah, anyone else worry that sometimes you don't have enough? That's just a normal thing. Does it ever feel like your life would be better with more? More what? Sleep? Says the, says the parent of a baby on Daily Savings. More money, more time, more energy, more friends, more, 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 right? More family, right? Yeah, these are all normal things. More security, more control, more stuff. This is normal. So during this worship series, which is Hope Gateway's stewardship series for this year, We're challenging the fear that can so often creep in, the fear that we don't have enough, which, guess what, is rooted in this fear, that we are not enough, that I am not enough. So when we have the fear that we are not enough, the way we try to to address that fear is by gathering more stuff around us. This is what we do. So we're challenging in this series the scarcity mindset. What's a scarcity mindset? You just feel like you don't have enough, right? You feel like there's not enough whatever it is that I need to go around. We're challenging that mindset. What if it's actually true that there is enough for everyone? What if it's actually true that we are enough because God created us in God's image? What if it's actually true that this world that we live in is a world of plenty, a world of abundance rather than a world of scarcity. That perspective has the power to change everything and to challenge us to be more faithful, to be more at ease, to be more generous, to share more freely of the resources we have because we don't have to hoard it all for ourselves. Now, last week, my friend uh, Carolyn Lambert, who recently retired as the pastor of Woodford's Congregational Church, shared the message, and if you're here, you remember that she shared two stories. The first story was about a wealthy farmer who had a bumper crop. Remember? He had the right soil, he had the right conditions, the right amount of rain and sunshine, and this particular year, he had a bumper crop, and he had so much food that he harvested that he didn't know what to do with it. Carolyn said he thought about taking some of it to Preble Street, he thought about taking some of it to the food pantry. He thought about sharing it with his neighbors, but then he decided, I don't want to do any of those things. So what did he do? Do you remember? He built a bigger barn. That was his great idea. Build bigger barns so that he could keep it all for himself. Well, that's a, there's a weird twist to that story. He died that night, and he did not get to take any of it with him. This is a story that Jesus told. It's not a true story. It's a parable. It's a story with a lesson that Jesus told. And then Carolyn told a second story about a time when Jesus was teaching on the hillside and thousands of people gathered to hear him teach. The Bible says 4,000 or 5,000, depending on which version. But what we know is they only counted the men because the women and the children weren't considered fully human in that era. Fortunately, we've learned a lot since then. But there were more. There probably were 10,000 people. And it was getting late, and people were starting to get hungry, and Jesus said to his disciples, his friends, I have a great idea. I want you to feed them. What did they think about that idea? We don't have enough! enough. But as it turns out, Jesus had five loaves of bread and two fish. He blessed it. He sent the disciples out to share it. Everyone had enough to eat. And at the end, there was a whole basket of leftovers, right? Right? Two baskets? 12 baskets. 12 baskets of leftovers. And Carolyn suggested that one interpretation of that story is that when one person uh, set the tone by sharing, other people found that they actually had some food in their pockets as well. Some nuts, some figs, some dates, some bread, some fish. I don't know. Do you carry fish in your pocket? I hope not but people maybe shared what they had, and there was more than enough to go around. That's the way it works in God's economy. So today I want to share some words of warning from Jesus. Words of warning about money. Now sometimes talking about money makes us uncomfortable, right? Especially when we talk about money in church. Sometimes. But as many of you have heard me say many times before, The truth is that Jesus talked more about money and possessions than any other topic. Well, we don't want that to be true. We want Jesus to be someone who talks about love and forgiveness and all those great things. But Jesus actually talked a lot about money and possessions. Why do you think Jesus did that? Why do you think? You don't know. I mean, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Anyone else have a thought? Why? Because everybody struggles with it. They did 2,000 years ago. They still do today. And Jesus knew that as human beings, there's this risk that if we don't have a healthy and spiritually grounded perspective with money and possessions, that they become an idol. You know what an idol is? It's something we worship that takes the place of God. So like giving God the boot, putting something else at the center of our lives and worshiping that thing. We can worship a BMW We can worship our house, we can worship our computer, our fancy uh, smartphone, our tablet. We can worship all the things, the stuff that we gather around us if we're not careful. And Jesus knew that. So let me read a few words from uh, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6. And I'm reading from the message, so this has kind of a contemporary flair about it. Jesus said, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven, where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the same place that you will most want to be and end up being. Now, that's an interesting interpretation of what's often translated, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You cannot worship God and money both. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you think about when you hear those words? What comes to mind, or what surprises you, or what challenges you about that? Anything? Where your treasure is? The hard that it Say it again. The hard choices that it forces. The hard choices that it forces. That it forces. Because why? And rationalization. Okay, a oh, rationalized. We What is the treasure? Because we want it to fit. We want it to fit, right? <laughs> Any other thoughts? Yeah. Right. purposeful about that so you're not making excuses to kind of around. Right. Right. I always want this to be the other way around. I always want to, I want I want to be like Jesus. Didn't you mean to say that the other way? Like didn't you mean where your heart is, there your treasure will be? Like the things I value, that's the things I put my money toward. But Jesus says no, it's the other way around. Where your treasure is, where your money is, where your possessions are, that's actually where your heart is. What Jesus is saying is if you want to know what you really value, look at your credit card statement. Look at your budget. Look at your checkbook register, right? If you want to know what you really value, because where your treasure is, that is actually where your heart is. Words of warning from Jesus about money. In our, in our culture, we place so much emphasis on possessions. And Jesus says this is not spiritually neutral ground. When it comes to money or possessions, our attitudes, our opinions, our priorities, our actions actually have spiritual implications. They can draw us closer to God or they can push us further away from God. It's so easy to get wrapped up, to get disoriented, to get pulled into the materialistic views of our society that our love of money and our unhealthy attachment to possessions actually begins to control us instead of us controlling it. I don't know about you, but I want to make choices in my life that draw me closer to God rather than further away from God. And I think that's what Jesus is reminding us of. So continuing on that same passage just a few verses later, um, also just continuing on with verse 25, this was my grandmother's favorite scripture reading. My grandmother, Arlene Merrill, whom I remember today as a saint in my life, she would recite these words from memory quite regularly, and I remember them being shared at her memorial service. Um, where Jesus says... She wouldn't like it that I'm reading it from the message. (laughs) She would not like that. Sorry. (laughs) If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach more to your outer appearance than the clothes that you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in their care of God. Isn't that a great phrase? Careless in their care of God. And you count more to God than birds. Has anyone, by fussing in front of the mirror, ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? Ever tried that? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention, to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think God will attend to you, take pride in you, do God's best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way God works fuss over all these things, but you know God and you know how God works. So steep your life in God-reality, God-initiative, God-provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Beautiful words. So Jesus says that so much of our worrying in life begins with this question about enough. Do I have enough? Do I have enough money? Do I have enough food? Do I have enough clothes of the right kind that make me look however it is I want to look? What if the world, though, is actually a place of plenty rather than a place of scarcity? There's an author uh, named Parker Palmer, who's a Quaker. And this is what he says. You want to just read this with me? Abundance does not happen automatically. It is created when we have the sense to choose community, to come together to celebrate and share our common store. Whether the scarce resource is money or love or power or words, the true law of life is that we generate more of whatever seems scarce by trusting its supply and passing it around. Authentic abundance does not lie in secured stockpiles of food or cash or influence or affection, but in belonging to a community where we can give those goods to others who need them and receive them from others when we are in need. I think that's a beautiful vision. Beautiful vision that we generate more of whatever seems scarce by trusting its supply and passing it around and choosing to belong to a community where we can both give and receive, which reminds me of a community like Hope Gateway. Now, Sarah has been listening to a lot of audiobooks. That's one of the things she can do. She can't do phone. She can't do TV. She can't do computers, but she can listen to audiobooks. I've lost track. It's over a dozen. I don't know. But one of the books that she read, has read during this time is this book, The Girl Who Smiled Beads, A Story of War and What Comes After by Clementine Wam- Wamaria. Anybody read this book? OK. Sarah told me to recommend this book to all of you. It's uh, written, I think it's, uh, I think it's non-fiction, written by this woman, Clementine, who is a storyteller and human rights advocate originally from Kigali, Rwanda. In 1994, when Clementine was six and her older sister was 15, they fled the Rwandan genocide and spent the next six years migrating through seven African countries, searching for safety all by themselves. They did not know if their parents were alive or dead. They were perpetually hungry. They were imprisoned and abused. They endured and escaped refugee camps. They found unexpected kindness. They witnessed the most awful kind of cruelty that you could imagine, not knowing if their parents were dead or alive. By the way, they were reunited with their parents on the Oprah Winfrey Show. True story. She found their parents and brought them together on the show. When Clementine was 12, she and her sister were granted refugee status in the United States. Um, She, the younger sister, was was sort of taken in by a family who helped her get a good education and she ended up graduating from Yale with a degree in literature. So Sarah shared this particular scene with me and strongly suggested that I should share this in my sermon today. (laughs) So this is directly from Sarah, reading from this book. My mother used to test us. Go get an orange, she'd say at the end of a meal, and then she'd cut the orange into pieces and watch us. There might be two pieces, there might be four pieces, there might be six pieces. She wanted to be sure we did not take more than our share. Now, the exercise was illogical. We had trees full of oranges in our garden. We could have each had our own orange. But if my mother did not cut that one orange into enough pieces for everyone to share, the correct answer was, the correct answer to the test was to cut it into more. My mother was radical in her actions, if not in her words. Sharing was her philosophy, an ideology to counter what she considered to be the emotionally stingy notions of possessions or entitlement. We were never to think that this orange is mine and I'm giving you what's mine. We were to think this orange is ours. We are sharing what is ours. She writes, I think back to this often in trying to make sense of the world, how there are people who have so much and people who have so little, and how I fit in with them both. Often I find myself trying to bridge these two worlds to show people, to show people either the people with so much or the people with so little, that everything is yours and everything is not yours. I want to make people understand that boxing ourselves into tiny cubbies based on class, race, ethnicity, religion, anything really, comes from a poverty of mind, a poverty of imagination. The world is dull and cruel when we isolate ourselves. Survival, true survival of body and soul requires creativity, freedom of thought, collaboration. You might have time, and I might have land. You might have ideas, and I might have strength. You might have a tomato, and I might have a knife. We need each other. We need each other. Clementine Wamaria, the girl who smiled beads. Now, two weeks from today is stewardship commitment, our stewardship commitment celebration. A day when we come together each year, each of us to make commitments of our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And why do we do this? We do this because it's important for each one of us to give. We do this because, like Ophelia, we're proud to be a part of this community, and we see the difference this community is making in the city of Portland and in other places around the world. We do this because... It's not that this is mine and that's yours. It's that it's, all of it is ours and that God calls us to share freely from our abundance. We do this because we want to support the ministry of Hope Gateway, this beautiful, diverse, justice-seeking community where love grows and multiplies, where we sing our prayers, where we open our hearts to one another, where we share the best of ourselves with each other where we honor and celebrate the saints who've come before us on whose shoulders we stand today, where we live and serve with a posture of generosity, always striving individually and together to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God, knowing and trusting that there is enough, that we are enough. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.